Last week, I learned uh, an important lesson about having church outside, and that's uh, don't depend on your iPad to hold your notes. So I printed them out uh, today. Uh, don't have to worry, hopefully, about this paper overheating. Um, but uh, excited to continue our series in the book of Psalms. Uh, we've, we've been looking at the book of Psalms um, in, in a particular way. We've been looking at it in light of our emotions, in light of our feelings. Uh, we, we've uh, tried to acknowledge that we're all uh, experiencing a lot right now. And the more we experience, the more we feel. Uh, and, and honestly, the more we struggle with our feelings. Um, and, and we have two dangers uh, that we've been reminding us of each week. And that's uh, the danger of dismissing our fears and, and acting as if life can't get to us, not dealing with our emotions, suppressing them. Uh, we know that's unhealthy, but it's also unhealthy just to think that you need to be led by your emotions or, or, and, and, and expressing your emotions as being the highest, ga- highest good in our lives. We want to avoid both errors uh, and, and chart a middle way of engaging our emotions in a way that would honor God. And the book of Psalms helps us in that because uh, the nature of the Psalms is that they are both poetry and prayer. They're poetry which expresses the language of the heart. Uh, if you want to see a person's heart on display, uh, just look at the psalmist in the book of Psalms. They pour out their hearts to God. In fact, God invites us to pour out our hearts to him. Uh, but they're also prayer in that they're the language of responding to God. And honestly, what we need uh, in, a, in a fundamental way when we think about engaging our emotions is to engage our emotions by, by bringing them to God. That's not the end of the story. Each week we've tried to look at how uh, we need the help of others as we navigate our emotions. Uh, but in the primary uh, emphasis that we must come back to is our need to, to go to God. To engage our emotions well means to engage God. Uh, we've been looking at a number of different emotions, and today we come to fear. And as I thought about fear, I don't, I don't know if you've ever genuinely been afraid of losing your life uh, before. I've, I've only had a few of those moments in my life, but one of them came when I was in college. I spent the summer in Amman, Jordan. Um, and uh, during, during the weekends, uh, what I would do with some friends is we would travel to various places in and around uh, the city and, and visit. And so one day, some of my friends uh, decided uh, that they wanted to go to the, the Gulf of Aqaba, which is connected to the Red Sea, to go snorkeling. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm 20-something years old and uh, snorkeling and, you know, in the Red Sea. I uh, couldn't get any better, right? Like, this is a pretty cool life experience. So uh, perhaps, uh, I, you know, un- unwittingly decide, this sounds awesome, let's go. But the, the thing that I wasn't really honest about with my friends is that I'm not a particularly good swimmer, um, which I don't know if you've been snorkeling, but being a decent swimmer uh, is helpful. Uh, and so uh, I'm not a particularly good uh, swimmer. Um, and, uh, and so, but I'm like, you know, how hard could it be, right? Um, you know, you get some flippers, you got the snorkel thing, you got goggles, uh, everything was great. Well, the other complicating factor is that uh, just before uh, I had gone overseas, I, I got glasses for the first time when I was in college. And um, I, I realized pretty uh, early sitting in college classes that I, when I had to ask my neighbor every five seconds what was on the board, uh, that I needed glasses. And so I'd just gotten glasses, but no contact. So I was going snorkeling without my glasses. Um, so basically, I couldn't see anything. Um, and secondly, uh, my, uh, my, my goggles kept fogging up and uh, kept uh, filling up with water. I don't know if I didn't have them tight enough or what, but 
And then, of course, the snorkel thing didn't work. I'm swallowing water. I can't see. I can't swim. I don't know how long we snorkeled, but it felt like an eternity. And I'm pretty sure I was thinking about eternity the whole time uh, that we were out there. Uh, it, was, uh, it was truly one of the worst experiences of my life. I think I'm still afraid of drowning uh, because of that snorkeling uh, experience. My friends tell me that they saw some awesome things uh, out in the water. Uh, the water was pretty once I was outside of it. Um, and, uh, and still today, my favorite thing about going to the beach isn't getting in water, it's eating Italian ice on the beach. And so um, uh, that moment, though, uh, is truly a moment uh, that, that I experience fear in the realest and deepest sense that I can, I can really recall in my life. Uh, and when we talk about engaging our fear, I think the reality is uh, that, that most of us don't experience that kind of fear very often. If you experience that kind of fear very often, uh, I would love to know what your job is because there's probably uh, some high intensity uh, in it or, uh, or maybe we need to have further conversations because I, I don't think it's healthy to experience that kind of fear all the time. But Fear is a, is a fundamental feeling that we all experience every day in our lives. And if you think about anxiety, which is closely associated with fear, we all can say that we've experienced and are experiencing on a regular basis fear and anxiety. Um, what we've been trying to do as we talk about our emotions is define them and then look at God's word to think about how to engage them. And so uh, fear, simply put, uh, tells us that something we value is under threat. Uh, fear tells us that something we value is under threat. It's a feeling that tells us that we ourselves or something we care about is in danger, whether it's danger in the present uh, or danger in the future. Um, now, there's all kinds of ways in which fear is helpful uh, to us, um, and then there's a lot of ways in which fear can go wrong. But, but fear is pointing us to something that we value. You, you, you get fearful, you get anxious over things that you care about. It's revealing something to you. All our emotions uh, reveal something to us just as much as they are uh, doing something to us. Fear reveals what we treasure, whether it be our, our health or uh, wealth, acceptance, comfort, convenience, uh, straight A's, power, control, just to name a few of the things that we value. Um, and when those things are under threat, we experience fear on some level or perhaps anxiety on some level. And, and it's interesting when we think about fear, fear is, uh, is often contrasted with, with faith as if they're the opposites uh, of one another, uh, which isn't the case. But what that, allow, what that leads to a lot of times is that people look at fear as if it's weakness. Uh, fear uh, is seen as, as, as not having faith. Um, and, and so we can, we can have this negative view of fear. And yet, as, as we've been trying to, to impress upon us, fear or all of our emotions are tools that God's given us to live in this world. And fear is one of those tools. Uh, and, and it has great value. And uh, Chip Dodd, one of the authors that's been helping us think about emotions, says that fear can motivate us to reach out for help. Fear can allow us to risk our heart with our need. It can trust others for assistance. Fear can help us depend on others for their skill and their willingness. It can help us collaborate with others for mutual gain. If you express fear truthfully, you can gain wisdom through experience. Fear is what tells us that we, we need something. We need to prepare. We need to learn something. We need to do something. We need to uh, be somewhere uh, so that we can, uh, we, can, we can succeed at what we're doing. It's actually constructive in, uh, in a general sense when we uh, are responding to it rightly. 
But fear, I think most often we think of it as interchangeable with words like anxious, uh, worried, uneasy, nervous, tense, scared. We, we think of it in this negative connotation. And, um, and in fact, there's a lot of things that we feel this way about. You may fear, uh, perhaps in a new way, as we've experienced over these last five months, you may fear getting sick or those you love getting sick because of COVID-19. You may fear over your finances or your job. You may be anxious over not being accepted by a, a group or, or by someone that you're interested in. You may be uneasy or, or fear missing out or being left out by others. You, you may fear um, uh, for, for the safety and health uh, uh, for parents of their children or, or perhaps of someone else that you love. You might fear failing, not being enough, being found out. All my students and academics, the fear of being found out. You might fear just what lies in the future. I think in some ways for all of us right now, there's an uneasiness and anxiety perhaps of what lies ahead. What's life look like in the future? This is fear. So how, how do we engage fear? Um, and I, I think it's, it's a helpful reminder to us that fear is as old as the Garden of Eden. You know, a helpful uh, exercise if you have some time is to, to read back through Genesis 1 through 3 and to see uh, how, how many emotions uh, appear uh, already in Genesis 1 through 3. In Genesis 3, uh, we, we see when Adam and Eve disobey God and they eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. And God, who would usually walk in the garden in the cool of the day uh, with Adam and Eve, he comes to them. And when they hear him, Adam and, Adam and Eve hide. And God asks the question, where are you? A question that reveals a, a lot more about the condition of Adam and Eve than it does about God. Uh, but Adam speaks up and he says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. For I was naked and I hid myself. Uh, disobedience led to shame. Uh, and he was afraid of facing God. So he hid. Uh, Genesis also has the first command. You know, we have the first expression of fear in Genesis 3, but Genesis also has the first command to not be afraid. Do you know that do not fear is the most frequent command in all of the Bible? That was close. <clears throat> Watch your heads. Um, <clears throat> Do not fear is the most frequent command in all the Bible. We see it in Genesis 15.1. God says to Abram before uh, he takes him into the promised land, uh, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Do not fear is found throughout the rest of the Old Testament. My favorite and New Testament. One of my favorite uh, verses is Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, God says to Israel, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you and uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then all the way at the end in Revelation 1, 7, 17, when, when Jesus appears to John in a, in a vision uh, and, and John falls down before Jesus, Jesus says, fear not, for I am the first and the last. So we see fear goes all the way back to the beginning but we also see all the way back from the beginning and all the way till the end, God is telling his people to not be afraid. So how do we deal with fear? How do we deal with anxiety? I mentioned anxiety being closely related to fear. And, and here I want to impress upon us that there, there is a clinical anxiety 
which is a physiological breakdown that can be disorienting and even debilitating in its effect. And it uh, is diagnosed with anxiety disorder, panic disorder, social anxiety. And before I press into another form of anxiety here, I just want to say if, you, if you're feeling that or, or seeing perhaps that you're having symptoms of, of one uh, some type of clinical anxiety, I, I want to just encourage you to, to not feel yourself um, uh, as, as odd, but to, to reach out and to get help. Know that we would love to help you, to get you connected with a counselor or physician that can help you take the right steps uh, to know uh, how to address clinical anxiety. However, I, I, I feel that there's, a, there's another uh, lower level of anxiety that we all experience in, in our lives. Um, a type of uh, anxiety that's just kind of an impending feeling of something bad that's going to happen or or maybe this gnawing sense kind of underlying uh, our days that we feel that something bad is going to happen or, or something that we value or want isn't going to come to pass or it's not going to take place. You see, anxiety is often forward-looking. It's looking ahead and it fears that something isn't going to play out the way that you hope. And so what we do with this type of anxiety is we either try to control it, uh, we, we, we try to wrap our arms around it and manage it, uh, manage the fear, control that fear. Uh, it really, the characteristic of, of anxiety, this type of anxiety is self-sufficiency, uh, believing that we can control it or we can handle it. Another expression of anxiety or another aspect of anxiety is that it's often due to us um, maybe having an overactive fear regarding something that we value or have exalted uh, in our hearts to a place that's even uh, taking the place of God. We value something too highly. Not that the thing is bad, but that we've become to value it so much that the, the fear of it not coming to pass or us losing it uh, almost debilitates us. And this could be good things like a job or family, a relationship, a reputation, or even our own comfort and preferences. We, we have this type of anxiety that we experience uh, in our daily lives. I, I know for me, I, uh, as I think about this emotion, um, uh, coupled with uh, perhaps with anger, uh, I, I feel this one the most and, and often interrelated with a lot of other feelings. So we're going to look at Psalm 27 today to help us to think about how to engage fear and anxiety. Psalm 27. We're going to read it in parts as we go along. Read with me Psalm 27 verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3, Psalm 27 say, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. See, the, the first uh, way we engage fear is by finding our confidence in God. Verses 1 through 3 show us how David finds his confidence in God. It's because that he's confident in God that he won't allow fear to control him. He says, uh, the Lord is my light and salvation. The, the Lord is my stronghold. Listen to, to what this means. The Lord uh, will lead me through darkness, David says. He's my light. The Lord will rescue me from destruction, David says. He uh, is my salvation. And the Lord is my stronghold. The, the Lord will protect me through the storms of life. 
that rescue and that protection may not look exactly what we, how we want it to, but God uh, is true to his word that he will rescue or protect us in the present or ultimately in the future. And it's verse 3 that actually draws this connection most. Look at, look at verse 3. We see kind of a, a parallelism, if you will. The, the first part says, Though an army encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. And what, what happens often in the Psalms and, and Proverbs, similarly, is you, you see this, th- these two lines compared to uh, the next two lines. Uh, it's the next two lines that further explain what the first two lines are talking about. So, an army encamps against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. You see the contrast between not fearing and being confident. Or, or being confident uh, is how we counter fear. Confidence is not the absence of fear, but the presence of trust. So confidence is not the absence of fear, but the presence of trust, particularly trust in God, no matter the circumstance. And that's, that's what we see David saying. David is saying that my confidence is in God. It, it reminds me of Psalm 23. I, I don't know uh, if you have Psalm 23, you might accidentally have memorized Psalm 23. It's just one of those Psalms that uh, kind of gets in our minds and our hearts, uh, a practice that uh, I've observed in, in my wife uh, over the last uh, maybe six months or even more uh, is often she'll end her day by listening to Psalm 23, either read aloud on a scripture app or there's various uh, artists that are singing through the Psalms and uh, listening to Psalm 23 and uh, as I think about that, it's such an encouraging and comforting word as we lay our head down to rest at night. You know what Psalm 23 says? The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. Listen to the emphasis that Psalm 23 has. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. See, what confidence does is reminds us of the one who is in control. You see, fear is a great reminder that we often aren't in control. And confidence in God is the perfect antidote to our fear because it reminds us of the one who is in control. The Lord is our shepherd. And just as we see in Psalm 23, confidence in God is closely connected to to enjoying God's presence. I shall not fear any evil for you are with me. So in verses 4 through 10, we see not only the, the, the need to find our confidence in God, but to seek the presence of God. Verses 4 through 10 of Psalm 27 show us uh, how to seek the presence of God. You see, because of sin, when we're afraid, we're tempted to run from the presence of God. But Psalm 27 shows us that God's presence is exactly what we need. You know, I mentioned earlier that do not fear is the most frequent command in the Bible. Uh, If you were to look up all the occurrences of do not fear, it's interesting to see what they're paired up with. God says, when, when God tells us not to fear, it's not in a, it does come as a rebuke in a sense, but, but it's not a heavy-handed or harsh uh, rebuke. It's not don't fear and repent because you're so weak. It's not don't fear uh, and, and get your act together. You should know better because I'm God. 
It's don't fear followed by a promise. Don't fear because I'm with you. Don't fear I'm the first and the last. Don't fear I'm your shepherd. Don't fear I'm with you. That's exactly what we see in Psalm 27, 4 through 10, that we don't have to fear because of the presence of God. Listen to verses 4 through 10. Somewhere in my Bible in the wind. One thing, David says, I have asked of the Lord. One thing that I will seek after and that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. See, what, what David is saying is, is, God, I want to be in your presence and I want to worship you. The, the language of, of the household of God, the dwelling place of God, the temple, that's where God's presence was. That's where God revealed himself to his people. To be in God's presence was to be in the temple in, in the most ultimate sense. God is everywhere, but the particular expression of his presence was in the temple. And so David says, that's where I want to be, God. One thing, the one thing I want more than anything is where you are, that's where I want to be. And he says, I want to worship you. I, I want to inquire and meditate. This is the language of worship. And he's saying, God, I want to be in your presence because your presence provides the greatest comfort and security. That's what verse 5 says. You'll hide me in your shelter in the day of trouble and conceal me under the cover of your tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. It's in God's presence that we're reminded of God's love and approval of us, where it says in verse 6 that God is the lifter of our heads. That, that he lifts our heads, reminds us of, of his acceptance of us and his love of us. If I could give you a biblical theology uh, for a second of how the temple plays out throughout uh, the rest of the Bible. Jesus, when he showed up and he was on this earth, he said in a, in a pretty controversial way, he said, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in, in three days. And everybody was like, what do you mean, Jesus? How are you going to rebuild the temple? It took like, uh, you know, dozens of years for, for this temple to be built. And the, the, the New Testament authors, the gospel writers, they tell us Jesus wasn't talking about the temple. He was talking about himself. Jesus is the true and greater temple. So what's that mean for us today? If we want, if we want to be in God's presence, run to Jesus. If you want to experience God's presence in the fullest and the richest way, run to Jesus. But you know what else? Interestingly, when the Bible talks about the temple and the dwelling place of God, the the ultimate and the truest fulfillment of the temple is Jesus. He's the presence of God with us. Emmanuel, right? God with us. But the New Testament authors also show us that because we are in Christ, the church, the people of God are the dwelling place of God. We are the temple. So not only can we run to Jesus to experience the presence of God, but it's actually within the people of God, within the church that we get to experience God's presence. So run to Jesus and get with God's people. Even when we're socially distanced, we enjoy God's presence in a, in a particularly unique way as we gather together as God's people. As David says, to seek the presence of God. And, and then verses 7 through 10 kind of give us a sense of, uh, of, of how to tackle anxiety. Look at verses 7 through 10. It says, uh, as a request of God, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says, Your face, Lord, do I seek. So hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. 
O God, you have been my you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. You know the the anxiety that I mentioned earlier, the kind that uh, uh, kind of uh, res- stems from from us uh, fearing something in the future uh, that we something we value not coming to pass or something we care about not playing out, and and that that temptation to um, uh, to to allow ourselves to become consumed with that fear, to, to be anxious, to, to have elevated something uh, that the thought of it being threatened makes us, makes us anxious. Uh, you know, as a, as a side note, when you, when you have a fear um, and you try to control it in your own strength, that's what leads to anxiety. It's, it's you uh, exercising self-sufficiency over your fears leads to anxiety. But as a, a second way in which sometimes when we're fearful and anxious, we talked about anger last week. Most often what we associate with anger is rage, which is when we try to protect ourselves from having to deal with our fears and we lash out at others because ultimately we're afraid of losing something or something happening to us, we lash out in rage. Not, all, not ultimately stemming from anger, but stemming from fear that we're unwilling to deal with, unwilling to address, that we, we lash out. So when I think about some of the things that we elevate, um, or people perhaps that we elevate over God, there, there are obviously big things that this happens with, but there are also some everyday things. Everyday things like um, fearing being misunderstood, being left out the fear of failing. These kind of things uh, can impact your work. They can impact your friendships. They can impact your marriage. And this is where anxiety and rage often play out in our relationships. When, when we fear failing, being left out, being misunderstood, if we feel like that's happening, we might lash out uh, so that we don't, we don't have to experience it. Or, or perhaps we, we try to control all our circumstances and, and it all rests on us and we're, we're constantly anxious. There are bigger fears that, that go on in, in our daily lives, the, the, the fears and anxiety over children, marriage, career, aspirations we have, some endeavor that we're setting out in. And, and all of these things can be good, but the deal is they must be subordinated to God. And that's what, you see, uh, that's what you see David doing here in Psalm 27 as he prays. He's pleading with God for his presence. He's, he's pleading that God wouldn't leave him or forsake him, that God would, would be for him his greatest value, his greatest treasure. I love how author and pastor Tim Keller said, he says, if our greatest treasure, communion with the living God, the presence of God with us, if, if we have that, then we're safe. We have no need to be afraid. But he says, yet we're afraid of so many things. So why are we afraid of so many things? Why are we so anxious? And he says, our fear serves an important, point, a per, important purpose. It shows us what, what we've really located our hearts on, what we've really uh, set to be our greatest treasure. And Keller's advice is to follow the pathway of fear back into your heart to discover the thing that you're loving more than God. Let me say that again. I know you were fearing for my life uh, as the sign fell. Um, He says, follow the pathway of your fear back into your heart to discover the thing that you love more than God. Even if it's situationally uh, valuing something in a moment more than God, or perhaps you've begun to value something over uh, a, a longer period of time, follow that pathway back and say, what am I afraid of? 
What am I really valuing so much? Remember, it's that something we value as being threatened. That's what fear is. Sometimes what you value is good and right. And you need to allow your fear to provoke you in, the, in a healthy direction. But sometimes what we're valuing, we're valuing over God. I experienced this in my life in a, um, and perhaps one of the hardest uh, things that I've walked through. When I was a senior in high school, my dad, who had been married one other time, had gotten remarried. But when I was a senior year in high school, my dad uh, informed me one day after coming home from work that he and my stepmom were getting a divorce. As a, as a kid, I came from a broken home, and part of what I wanted so much uh, as, a, as a kid was to have, um, have a family, uh, to have this sense of acceptance and approval of belonging to a family, especially having a mom, having brothers and sisters, uh, really, really just fitting in and belonging. I often would look at my friends who, who had families and just kind of ache uh, over wanting a family. And so finally, when I was in seventh grade, my dad had got remarried a second time and we had a family. I had brothers and sisters and um, their marriage wasn't great. There were often threats um, of divorce. Uh, and, and so it wasn't exactly a surprise when the news came. But in that moment, um, when that news was shared with me, I was at a different place than where I was when my dad and stepmom had got married. I become a believer when I was 14. I became a Christian. And I remember the, the only thing I knew to do, I was so sad and upset, I went out to my car. My Chevy Lumina was my first car, uh, 1987 Chevy Lumina. And I set out in my car with my Bible. And I don't know why, but I was reading Psalm 27. I don't know if it was in a Bible reading plan or if I just happened to open up to it. But I remember reading Psalm 27, verse 10, as I sat in my car with tears in my eyes. Even if your mother and your father forsake you, the Lord will take you in. See, my greatest fear was not having this acceptance and, and approval and the belonging of a family. And, and that fear was being realized. That was going to be taken away in a sense. But the, the, the one thing that wouldn't be taken away from me was God himself. If you're in Christ, there's, there's one thing you don't have to fear losing. And that's God himself. He will never leave you or forsake you. So seek the presence of God as you desire to engage your fear. And then uh, two, two final points. <clears throat> as we engage our fears, we have to walk in wisdom. In verse 11, Psalm 27, verse 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and they breathe out violence. So David is, is making, making a request. He's saying, uh, God, teach me your way, which is a request for God to, to give him wisdom, to, to show him the way to walk, to show him the way to go. You see, what fear does is fear tells us that, that we need something, that, that there's something that, we are, uh, that we're afraid of, maybe we're incapable of addressing or handling, and, and we need someone or someone else. And really what fear should do, healthy fear should lead you to prepare. And to prepare well, you need wisdom. So when you're engaging your fear, when you have some fear, uh, perhaps of, of something that lies ahead of you, what's next uh, with school, uh, what's next with uh, your finances or a relationship, it should, it should lead you to address things, to prepare in different ways. Not, not with a sense of self-sufficiency, but a sense of God-dependency. 
And that's where wisdom comes in. We, we know this. You, you probably are familiar with Proverbs 3. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The wisdom we need comes from God. How do we receive wisdom? Two ways we receive wisdom. First, we must learn to, to reverence God. The, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, God's word says. A willingness to uh, distrust ourselves, acknowledge our need in light of God's holiness and power is the, the pathway to wisdom. And it's in that, that you, in, in reverencing God, that you're able to, to, to determine if you're valuing things in your life rightly in light of a high reverence and a high view of God. And then secondly, we must learn to receive God's word. Wisdom is the application of God's word to everyday life. And, and when we think about wisdom, I was reading, we've been reading with the men in our church, the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And uh, he uses this analogy. I've changed it slightly. Um, he says, wisdom, wisdom is not like learning to be an air traffic controller. Yeah, I, I don't know how to be an air traffic controller, but from what I understand, they have to understand all the different things that are going on uh, at a time in order for different planes uh, and things to land safely. Uh, they, they have to kind of see the big picture and navigate all the different dynamics. Sometimes we think that wisdom is knowing God, uh, exactly what God is doing, why he's doing it, and what he's trying to accomplish. And so we, we make our wheels spin and trying to understand, well, why would God do this? Why would God do that? You know, like, why do we drive on parkways and park in driveways? You know, like, uh, we ask these big questions. That was a joke. I still don't know the answer. But we ask these big questions that we don't always know, that we don't always understand. And it's not learning to be an air traffic controller. It's like learning to drive a car. Uh, Packer says, what matters in driving is the speed and the appropriateness of your reactions uh, to things around you and the soundness of your judgment. You simply try to see and do the right thing in the actual situation. He said, divine wisdom is that way, that it enables you and me to do that in our everyday life, to see what's in front of us and navigate around it wisely. You have to have your eyes open and see what's in front of you. And that's what wisdom is. It's seeing life clear, clearly, and in light of God's word and seeking to take the next step. So we have to listen to our fears to, to reveal, see what they're revealing to us, what we're, what we're valuing and fearing, so that then we can engage and respond to those fears and wisdom. And finally, verses 13 through 14 show us that we wait on the Lord. David says, I believe that I will see, I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You see, sometimes in our fear, we do, we do either we busy ourselves with something so we don't have to address the fear, or we, we are consumed with our fear so we can do nothing else. Either doing everything else but addressing our fears or so consumed with our fears we can do nothing else. And the, the solution to both of those problems is to wait on the Lord, to rest in God. And, and waiting is tied to hoping, if you think about it. What you're, you're waiting for something that you hope is going to come to pass. And just like David showed us with his confidence, his confidence was in God, his hope is in God, that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, that God's goodness and grace will, will come to me. I'm going through trouble now, but I believe that God's goodness will be my experience. So David's saying, based on the, the experiencing God's goodness, I will wait on the Lord. I'm confident in the Lord. 
And, and here's the deal with our fear and our hoping and our waiting. You see, not all that we wait on is going to come to pass. You see, in some ways to wait on the Lord in one sense is an admission that your fears or what you're anxious about may actually come to pass. That fear, what you fear may actually happen. What you're anxious over may, may actually play out that way that you're anxious about. To wait on the Lord is to, to admit that that might be the case, but that, that's not the final word. To wait isn't to be passive. It's, as one author says, it's to long for, but not impatiently. To look for, but not to fret at the delay. To watch for, but not restlessly. To feel that if it doesn't come to pass, that, that we will acquiesce, that we will trust. And yet, it's to refuse to let our minds acquiesce in the feeling that it will not come. It's, it's this sense of, of waiting, but it's an act of waiting and looking to God. And, and in your hopes, whatever you hope for, you, you know, not all degrees end with a desired job. Not all singleness ends in a relationship or in marriage. Not all infertility ends with a child. Not all job searches end with a desired job. Not all dreams come true despite what Disney told you. If your hope is in a certain condition or something coming to pass then it's bound to disappoint you. Your fears and your anxieties are bound to come to pass. But if your hope is in God, you can weather any fear. So we're going to close, but, but here's my, my takeaways for us as we think about how to engage our fears. Identify what you fear. Be honest, admit what, what you fear and, and think about what it's telling you, what it's telling you that you value, what it's telling you that you treasure. Our fears don't make us weak. Our feelings don't make us weak. They're gifts. They're tools that God's given us. We have to see them for what they are. And then as the Psalms show us, take our fear to God. Take it to him. And as you take your fear to God, what, what really, what verses four through 10 were telling us, it's to worship through your fear. Prize the presence of God in the midst of your fears. Let that be what comforts and calms your heart. And then share your fear with someone you trust. See, the lie about our fear is that we are self-sufficient to handle it. We aren't. It's showing us our need for help, not only our need for God, but our need for others. And if God's presence is felt by running to Jesus and getting with God's people, then we need one another to engage our fears. And then finally, seek God's wisdom for how to respond to your fear. We ultimately have to turn to God in order to respond to our fears rightly. Our fears don't have to consume us. Our anxiety doesn't have to eat away at us. If we'll turn to God, if we'll seek his presence, walk in wisdom and wait on him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Uh, we pray, Lord, uh, as we continue in worship, you would help us to, to maybe say out loud some of the, or say to you some of the things that we've been anxious over, things we've been afraid over. Or, or maybe just to spend some time this week as we read your word to, to linger a little longer to, to examine our hearts. To see maybe what we're anxious about. To see what um, our fears are telling us. God, we thank you that you've given us fear as a tool to navigate this life. We pray that you would help us to engage it well. God, we need you. Just like David said, there's one thing that we desire. That's to be with you. Jesus as Mary and Martha were busy, as Mary sat at Jesus' feet, Jesus said, she's found the one thing that is necessary to be with you.
God, that's what we need. It sounds maybe too simple, but I pray it wouldn't be so simple that we wouldn't seek it this week just to be with you. And Lord, I, I pray if anyone listening now or, or perhaps later as they listen to this message, as they think about their fears and they, they think about where to turn, maybe they feel like they don't know where to turn. Maybe they've never thought that they could really turn to you. And I pray today that you give them eyes to see that we don't have to fear you because of what Christ has done for us. What he did on the cross and dying in our place and for our sins and what he did in rising from the dead shows us that we don't have to be afraid, but you are with us and we can cry out to you. But we only can know that and be confident in that if we turn from our own way, from our sin and trust in you. But I pray that today uh, you would do that in the hearts of those who, uh, who are feeling that pull from you. God, would they turn from their sin and trust in you? And Lord, would you, would you help them to reach out uh, to us to, so that we could help them and rejoice with them in following you? Lord, as we close our time in worship, what we need is to worship you through our fear. So right now, even in this moment, God, help us to worship you. Help us to lay uh, our fears down before you and, and turn our eyes to you. God, we desire you. We, we long to be in your presence with God's people. Meet with us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.